1: Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision.
0: As you'll know by now, the failure of the government to pass their religious discrimination bill has turned religious freedom into a federal election issue. The Prime Minister promised to protect religious freedom but withdrew that bill from the Senate just before a vote that would have lost, especially for Christian schools, their freedom to teach what the Bible teaches. Five dissident coalition members crossed the floor to vote with Labor against the government to remove Section 38.3 exemptions for faith-based schools from the Sex Discrimination Act. Well, our special guest today, Patrick J. Byrne, is president of the National Civic Council. He says, a clear difference has emerged. Should the Morrison government be re elected and should the numbers change in the Senate, there is a chance that the bill could be recommitted and passed without the removal of the exemptions in the Sex Discrimination Act. But LGBT activist organisations, the Greens, Labour, and dissident Liberals, have made it clear that they will no longer tolerate religious schools holding any moral beliefs on sex, marriage and family other than their own. Well, Patrick J. Byrne is joining us. You might remember the National Civic Council was founded by B.A. Santa Maria, an anti-communist political activist back in the 1940s. So the NCC has a very long history of a conservative voice on social issues and a pleasure to welcome back to 2020 Patrick J. Byrne. Patrick, welcome.
2: Nice to be with you again, Neil.
0: Patrick, let's just start with an overview of where you're standing in this whole issue, as I say. Uh, religious freedom becoming a election issue these things are powerful thoughts and I know that in the minds of listeners they'll be interested in every word as we talk through some more uh, issues around this but what's your understanding of the events that have transpired uh, through the parliament over religious freedom?
2: Well firstly Neil at the last federal election there were a number of significant uh, electorates where people clearly voted on the basis of religious freedom or the threat to religious freedom after the changes to the Marriage Act. So, yes, it is a political issue out there, perhaps not right across Australia, but in quite a number of significant electorates that can make a difference at the next federal election. Now, basically what has happened is um, the federal government had produced a Religious Discrimination Act or religious anti-discrimination act, you might call it, that was um, put to the parliament in the last, voted in parliament in the last few days of the last sitting. Um, But what happened was the, uh, was a move by Labor to support the bill, but on the condition there be an amendment made to the Sex Discrimination Act to remove the exemptions for faith-based schools. These exemptions give religious schools the freedom to employ staff and enrol students where it involves a person's gender identity and sexual orientation. And at the same time, a number of dissident Liberals, um, Trent Zimmerman, Bridget Archer, Fiona Martin, Katie Allen and Dave Sharma, crossed the floor to support Labor to remove these religious exemptions. Now, by removing them, if you'd removed them and passed The Religious Discrimination Act at the same time, you'd have taken one step forward and about three or four steps backwards in terms of religious freedom. So, we are concerned that the government, uh, well, we are pleased that the government now has effectively put the Religious Discrimination Bill on ice, and it's highly unlikely that the bills will be debated because the next session in Parliament is the budget session, and there's only two days it could be debated in the Senate, and that's now unlikely to happen. Because if it was debated there, you might get a Religious Discrimination Act, but you're going to go backwards even further with the removal of exemptions from the Sex Discrimination Act. There had been talk that it would be
0: valuable for both sides of politics If this was resolved before an election, because now, uh, because it's not resolved, there is a wedge and there'll be two sides uh, to this debate and it becomes an election issue because uh, the sides become a little more polarised and they'll argue their point of view. Is that likely to be the the, the sort of scenario you're seeing too?
2: Yes, well I think Labor's going to blame the Liberals for not now putting the bill up in the uh, Senate. And uh, the Liberals are going to blame Labor for actually attempting to reduce religious freedoms by taking away the exemptions for faith-based schools. Now, later on, perhaps we might talk about another bill that's been put to the Parliament by Claire Chandler um, to write the definition of man and woman back into the Sex Discrimination Act and to protect women's sports. And I think it's now taking a slightly different direction, but still a quite important direction, that the debate is going to go in at the time of the next federal election. Well, Patrick, just to touch on
0: Claire Chandler's bill now, uh, because you're seeing this as so important, protecting the rights of girls and women in sport to be able to play in their own competition without... Uh, trans athletes uh, crossing over into women's sport you're seeing this uh, almost on the same level of protecting religious freedom as uh, as this other anti-discrimination bill uh, it's much more significant in your eyes than, uh, than some people perhaps are giving credit for uh,
2: yes that is correct because um, there are a wide range of conflicts over the whole idea of gender identity Uh, If a boy identifies as a girl uh, in state schools, they're entitled to apply to be able to use the girls' toilet showers, change rooms and play in their sports and that sort of thing. Um, But the most visible one to the general public is the issue of sports. When you have men who identify as women, obviously with superior uh, physical strength and ability and uh, speed, fast, quick reaction, uh, muscles that more so in males than in females, and people just say, well, hang on, this is not fair, where the hell is this going? So I think the first thing is a public perception thing. The second thing is is a legal issue. Um, When the Sex Discrimination Act was amended in 2013, Mark Dreyfus put in the definition of gender identity, and basically it means you can have any gender or sex that you choose, and it's purely self-identification. And you can do that at any age. A two-year-old could theoretically say, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl, and be considered, uh, in that sense, transgender. Now, when that amendment was made to the Sex Discrimination Act, he removed the definitions of man as a member of the male sex and woman as a member of the female sex. If Claire Chandler got that, her amendments, through, and there's only a couple of very short amendments in her bill... To put those definitions back in, I think that is extremely important because it means people who still hold to what I call the biological worldview, that human beings are essentially male and female and it's immutable and it can't be changed, if they end up in front of a discrimination tribunal for some sort of violation of the rights of a person who's transgender... They then have a legal grounds in which they can say, but hang on, the Sex Discrimination Act says also there are men and women, biological men and women. So it gives them a better defensive position uh, in the case of any sort of um, charge that would take them before a tribunal, as we have seen done in Australia with the, the Archbishop, Catholic Archbishop of Tasmania under Tasmanian law. OK, and uh, listeners all
0: appreciate that, uh, elevating the importance of Senator Claire Chandler's bill, because if passed, it could be as effective in protecting freedom of belief about the nature of human sexuality as the Religious Discrimination Act does. Let's come to some of the nitty gritty sort of things uh, and points of confusion, Patrick, because many people are confused about the terminologies. Now, just at a time like this, uh, years after the marriage debate, uh, we might all think we know what LGBT is about, or LGBTQI+, plus. Uh, but you're thinking uh, there's some confusion around this terminology, and I guess it comes down to the T in the LGBT.
2: Yes, well, those of us involved in this debate know the terms, but uh, I think a lot of Australians don't, and I think, um, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, was confused over the issue, which I'll sort of work through in a moment, um, because I think he's used the term sexual orientation, which refers to s- straight, gay and lesbian and bisexual, and fluid gender identity, which is a totally different thing. It's a person saying, I- I'm not male or female, I'm I'm, tra- I'm a transgender of some kind or gender fluid or I'm a boy who identifies as a girl or vice versa. He's used these terms interchangeably, and I think a lot of it, it's indicative of the confusion amongst many Australians. Now, they're very separate issues in this way. A trans boy who, a boy who identifies as a girl can access the girl's sports, uh, their, their change facilities and so on, but gay boys don't. So we're talking about a different set of um, sex-based rights once a person identifies as something other than their biological sex. And this is where a whole range of, very wide range of conflicts come into play. And the most obvious one, as Claire Chandler has pointed out, is in sport. At the same time, these two issues are ideologically welded together by the LGBT lobby and those pursuing what I'd call complete sexual licence, such that if sexual orientation has a protected attribute in discrimination law, if that's been given, then virtually welded onto it is the idea of gendered identity and that it must be protected also. And it's not clear that the PM understood these distinctions or how they're ideologically welded together when you actually look at the time frame, uh, when you look at the timeline of what's actually happened since the Marriage Act was changed to recognise not only... Trans, uh, not only same-sex marriage, but also what I call transgender marriage. OK, if the Prime Minister is confused about these
0: things, perhaps a lot more people are as well. And I imagine... Uh, just Let me just throw you into the deep end here for a few moments, uh, Patrick, because if trans is really about being gender-fluid... Uh, This, you know, gender identity, those sorts of things. Well, if if gender fluid is true, uh, well, then there might not be any need for lesbian, gay or bi. And uh, even LGBT people uh, potentially concerned that the whole uh, argument that they've got is about to implode. I mean, uh, how significant might that be? Uh, I'm not sure if you've given that any thought,
2: but uh, as I I say, throw you
0: into the deep end, but uh, the whole thing looks like it could be imploding
2: if the T is much more important than everything else. Well, there's a a deep conflict. The LGBT looks like it is welded together and is, in in a sense, when it's presented publicly in debate in Parliament. But in fact, it's a very deeply division between the LGB and the T, the trans. Uh, and this has particularly come out in the UK where you've had a very strong feminist movement insisting that um, two biological males who identify as females uh, and who are attracted to each other are not lesbians even though they identify as being female. And they say they, don't, they should not have the same access to lesbian organisations and their uh, safe spaces and so on as biological women who identify as being lesbian. So they see it as male encroachment, in fact, on their feminist rights. And this is where there is a deep division between them. Um, And this is where I think it does get very deep and complicated, but they see it as actually undermining uh, female rights and lesbian rights.
1: A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision.
0: Wonderful to have you along with us this Monday edition of 2020. Our talk back line open on 1 800 316 316. Patrick J. Byrne is our guest. He's president of the National Civic Council. We are talking all things around religious freedom issues that have gone through the parliament and how they're affecting us all personally and Christian schools at 1800 316 316 Patrick, before we take the conversation further, let's take a call from a listener and Michael's on the line from Melbourne. Hello, Michael. Welcome along to 2020. Good morning. Michael, are you with us? Yes, yes.
1: good morning, Neil. Um, hi, Patrick. Um, Patrick, oh. my question is about the um, you know, Christian schools... Um, I was listening to the Church and State Summit on Saturday, and uh, John Steenhoff, the principal of the Human Rights Law Alliance, was speaking, uh, and he said that the contract that City Point Christian College put out didn't require parents to agree with the school's statement of faith. Now, that is factually incorrect, because clauses 27 and 122D, Roman numeral 3, of that contract said that if a parent or a student disagreed by word or action with the statement of faith, they could be expelled. So my question to you is, is it right that a school has that much power over a student? Should they be able to punish or expel a student for disagreeing with the school statement of faith outside school hours and outside school grounds?
0: Michael, you're raising an important issue here and uh, around the City Point uh, Christian School Uh,
2: Issue, Uh, your thoughts here, uh, Patrick? Uh, First of all, um, um, with regard to sitting point and the contract or the letter they were asking parents to sign, uh, quite frankly, I think there was far better ways to express uh, a school's beliefs rather than putting everything in the negative. Uh, And I wonder at the wisdom of having or even having a contract uh, of such a nature when you ask about the rights of schools to what you're really asking the question here is about question about the an overall question first there's two actually separate questions one is what are the rights that schools have according to their beliefs and the second is a much more sensitive one around the whole issue of pastorally how schools should handle particular situations firstly with respect to rights um, Political parties have the right uh, to discriminate against people who don't dis- who disagree with them. So if the, somebody who actually held Liberal principles joined the Greens party, the Greens party would be perfectly entitled to say, well, we're not going to accept you or we'll kick you out of this political party because uh, you don't support, uh, you're opposed and you want to change our policies on climate change and on a whole range of other issues. Um Discrimination, difference is not discrimination. We accept differences between political parties, and it is similarly the case as a principle with schools. Nobody is obliged to go to a faith-based school if they actually disagree with the, the faith of the school. Um, and this wasn't an issue until it was blown up to an issue way out of proportion uh, a couple of years ago. There's a separate question around the pastoral nature of how. Um, a school might handle a person or young person who's got who's gender confused or got a sexual orientation that is different to the faith of the school. Most of the schools deal with just deal with it at a pastoral level. There's a different question, however, if a student or a teacher or teachers or parents actually then want a campaign to change for the school to change its moral teachings. And I think this is where you get into the conflict that has been created by draconian uh, discrimination laws that's saying that the only um, moral beliefs that will be accepted by the state are the states, are the moral beliefs that say, uh, or the ethics that say um, there should be freedom, complete freedom and sexuality. So I think it really depends on the situation. Uh, and in most cases, schools have simply dealt with these issues at a pastoral level, being tolerant, uh, accepted, um, many been tolerant of many of the students and their and their views and so on. But I think it's a completely different question when it comes to then a campaign issue with on the to change the moral teachings of the school. Thank you so much to Michael from Melbourne, uh, raising an important
0: issue. And uh, you weren't at the Church and State Summit on the weekend, uh, Patrick. Uh, I was there and I did hear the John Steenhoff presentation around the City Point School. And uh, he did, in fact, Uh, go to great lengths to stress that the school had, in fact, uh, set the the context of the school's contract in line with the recommendations of those... Uh, that had been endorsed by various commissions that were set up to advise the government. So the school endeavouring to do the right thing and uh, some things taken out of context uh, that uh, were uh, picked up by activists and uh, and uh, instantly the school became a pariah. But uh, thank you so much, Michael, from Melbourne for your insight. Our talkback line is open uh, on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 Did you want
2: to add something to that there, Patrick? Yeah, just one little point uh, from what you've said there. Um, if if the laws effectively say that part of the condition of a school being able to uh, employ and enrol, employ staff and enrol students, is that they act in accordance with their faith, then it is not discrimination for a school to then say, well, we will make publicly clear what our beliefs are. Now, how you make those beliefs public... I mean, how you describe them, I think, is a matter that just requires a bit of discretion and so on. But, in fact, the, the Sex Discrimination Act says that the school is only really given coverage, that is, given exemptions, uh, on the matters of sexual orientation gender identity if they do clearly state and live by uh, the beliefs of their faith. OK, Let's continue to talk about schools
0: for a moment. But uh, the NCC, you guys have done some fairly extensive polling on all of these issues and policies in schools. Uh, what's what have you found,
2: Patrick? Um, can I just firstly say, uh, as an example of what the Sex Discrimination Act and its changes in 2013 led to, in New South Wales the following year. This, this is a, this is the year after the Sex Discrimination Act was changed, to take out man and woman, you know, the the biological nature of the human person. And it's rather ironic that it was taken out of the Sex Discrimination Act because how can you have a Sex Discrimination Act without a definition (laughs) of sex? I mean, it's just ridiculous. And they put in gender identity. The following year, the New South Wales uh, Government, um, New South Wales Education Department, um, put out a legal issues bulletin uh, Specifying, I think, it was about eleven areas in which uh, the rights of a person who identified as the opposite sex um, was came into conflict with um, a person of the of the other kids in the school who identify with their sex. So a boy identified as a girl, for example, it said it said they had to make arrangements on toilet showers, change rooms, sports, uh, on on pronouns, uh, identification at the school, a whole range of things. And um, antis- knowing that, just around the time of the debate on marriage, uh, we undertook some polling, about um, 2,200 people, um, random poll with Sexton and Marketing, and we asked, parent- we asked people across Australia of all ages and political persuasions what they thought on these issues. And when we asked whether boys should be allowed to share the girls' toilets in this situation, 75% of Labor supporters said no and even 61% of Greens voters said no and 87% of Liberals. Okay. When we asked should this be taught teaching kids in kindy, can they choose their gender, over half of Greens voters even opposed that as well as almost 90% of Liberals and 80% of Labor. Now, those figures... Continued on the series of questions we asked. Should schools uh, support children to change their gender? Answer no. Even 74% of Greens voters said no. Teaching children about sex change, hormones, and operations? No. Gender education made compulsory? No. Parents, no right, no say on sex education, no right to remove their children from classes? Overwhelmingly, no, even amongst Greens supporters. And particularly when it came to the question of sex education being heavily influenced by pro-transgender uh, activists, well, even 78% of Greens voters said no. These so things... I'm just pointing out to people that when... It's all very well to talk about... If you put up a general question saying, should transgender children have the same rights as everyone else, you'll probably get a majority of people saying yes. When you boil it down to what it means in the practicalities, and I'm not talking about practicality, theoretical practicalities... I'm talking about what is written in a legal issues document for New South Wales state schools. When you get down to the practicalities of what it means, the electorate overwhelmingly says no. And I think that is why Mark Latham's uh, bill on parental rights and to remove uh, gender ideology, fluid gender ideology from schools has got strong support because when it's explained to parents what it means, they flatly say no. Just understanding the issues becomes
0: a very important uh, way of communicating to the general population. Hey, let's take another call. David is in Cairns, Queensland. Hello, David. Welcome. Ah, good morning. Um, Yeah, I'm just...
1: um absolutely befuddled about um, you know, this word discriminate it comes from the Latin to discern which means to choose, one over the other like, if I choose to get KFC then I'm discriminating against Hungry Jackson McDonald's
0: Shame on you, (laughs) Dan And so
1: this this word discriminate um, has been torn and twisted and everything else and um, I'm just totally confused by it all. If I choose
0: something, does that mean I hate something else? No, it doesn't. David, I think there's a, there's a way we think about a definition of discriminate. Uh, some will remember when it used to be a popular thing to be a discriminating person. That was a compliment. Uh, Patrick, let me just bring you to uh, issues around uh, discrimination and uh, these things that we've been discussing. You talked about polling just before the news. Uh, Exemptions that are in these anti-discrimination acts. Uh, I wonder if, uh, you know, let's uh, shoot the breeze for a few minutes on what might happen if those exemptions were removed and Christian schools had to toe the line and they weren't able to teach according to what the Bible teaches. Uh, what are your thoughts for, for what might happen?
2: Uh, Neil, there's two important sex, uh, two important exemptions in the Sex Discrimination Act. And the one that they targeted as a con- to remove as a condition for supporting the Religious Discrimination Bill this is Labor and the Greens and uh, a number five Liberals, was the exemptions uh, around enrolment of students on sexual orientation, gender identity. Now, I mentioned before, to give a picture of where that would take us, um, in New South Wales, the State Education Department has what I call Legal Issues Bulletin number 55 on transgender students and schools. And it says that arrangements for gender-fluid students must be to access the sport of their choice, their toilets, showers, change rooms, dormitories, um, the pronouns they want to be addressed by and so on. And it's entirely based on how the child identifies. So the child has agency as to how to identify according to their self-chosen gender identity and it's a student, effectively a student-led process. Now, this bulletin came out after the Federal Sex Discrimination Act was changed in 2013 to write um, these clauses in on protections for gender identity and sexual orientation. So if the exemptions had been removed, in other words, if both the Religious Discrimination Bill had gone through and the Sex Discrimination Act Amendment Bill to remove these exemptions, you could virtually uh, imagine that these same sort of policies would be forced on faith-based schools, creating a terrible conflict over fundamental moral issues, Um, not just moral issues but biological issues, Um, because this comes down to the whole debate that's been going on between the biological worldview that we are born in essence male and female and cannot be changed, it's determined by genetics and reproductive functions and so on um, between that biological worldview and this transgender worldview that says we're all fluid so you know I could identify as, as a woman and you know if you go and ask some politicians now who are sitting on the fence on this what well, is a woman they won't answer your question because they don't want <laughs> they are caught in this debate and I don't know which side they necessarily sit on and or well, they don't want to commit themselves I don't know a, can I just, can I just yep. add a second one? I don't. You understand that this um, is this would have been the first amendment. This is the amendment to remove the exemptions on on enrolment. And I've already discussed the levels of issues involved in this because partly they're pastoral, and that most of them get dealt with pastorally. But the the protect the exemptions give the school the ability to deal with either parents, teachers, or students who want to campaign just change the moral teachings of the the beliefs of that school and the church running that school. And I think that's what's got to be understood here. That's the protection that's in there. There is a second section of the Sex Discrimination Act that covers um, employment. So the schools have a right to employ people and, as they say, discriminate, but in fact it means to employ accordance with their beliefs. Um, the people they wish they choose, and if they choose not to employ people who want to campaign for um, changing the, the, church, the, te- the, the moral teachings of the school, then they have a right not to employ them or, or to discontinue their their employment. Now, I say this because anyone who knows what's going on in Parliament knows that the removal of the exemptions for enrolment is only the first step. The next step will be the removal of exemptions at a later date. This is salami tactics. Removal exemptions at a later date over employment. And that's where the rubber really hits the road and that's when the the schools will really get into difficulty. So this is just a prelude for what is really anticipated to come. And taking that on a step further, uh, Patrick, if it's
0: the schools, which are Christian schools, and they're really a part or an arm of the Christian church, uh, if you're able to control the Christian schools, ultimately then you'd move on to controlling the church. And uh, that's a that's an even bigger uh, issue at hand because the church is huge and the church is a necessary uh, conscience of a nation. And uh, if you try to block that, you're exposing something very deep and very evil. In fact, you are interested in just how all of this works. Uh, it sounds a little bit like a conspiracy theory, but for Christians, we reckon, recognise uh, what we talk about a battle, if we're in a battle Christians understand that, a battle for schools, a battle for women, a battle for girls in sport, uh, all of those sorts of things Uh, you're saying, Patrick that uh, what we're seeing in all of this change is exposing uh, a very deep ideological agenda
2: Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, I I say it's an idea, first I understand what an ideology is it's a political philosophy with a political agenda and A lot of people, for example, just see the issue of trans in women's sports as just an issue. It's not really, it's more than that. It's just one part of a much bigger issue. And really what we've now got is an ideological commitment that transcends uh, a number of the political parties and even a segment of of the Conservatives that really the only... Uh, agenda that will be tolerated, the only moral beliefs will be, or ethical beliefs will be tolerated are those that are um, supportive of the LGBT agenda uh, even in their schools and ultimately potentially even in their churches uh, and I think this is extremely dis- disturbing. Now the evidence for that is not just in the changes to the Sex Discrimination Act, there is a number of legal, uh, laws that have been changed both at federal, state and territory level, that are slowly redefining the human person, particularly in the nature of biological sex. So you've got state births, deaths and marriages registration acts that now say um, a person can identify not... Can be, have on, their, ..on their birth certificate can be changed so that it's no longer just a male and female. It could be male, female or anything else that you define. You could be pan-gender, gender-queer, or on a spectrum of male to female, 50% male, 50% female, you, you can specify what your identity, your sexual identity is, and it is not, doesn't have to accord with your biological sex. So you're looking at birth deaths and marriage registration acts and birth certificates. Then there is the anti-discrimination laws, uh, and the worst of them is in Tasmania, where virtually it's offended, insult and vilify, you are only going to speak the wrong language on this as Archbishop Porteus, the Catholic Archbishop of Hobart, found and he could end up before a discrimination tribunal simply for expressing uh, his church's uh, position, their moral teachings on marriage which is intimately linked linked with the nature of sexuality. And I don't just mean here um, male and female or male-male, female, female-female relationships. I'm not talking about just same-sex marriage and and, heter- and heterosexual marriage. I'm talking here also about transgender marriage, which was what was legalised. And that's the third area of law, the changing of the Marriage Act, which fundamentally recognises now all forms of um, sexual identity in terms of combinations for marriage, which then begs the question, well, where will the Marriage Act go again in the future? And then lastly, we've got states that are introducing um, so called uh, anti conversion therapy legislation. Um, and there are draconian uh, re- <clears throat> punishments, even for parents in a place like Victoria, who would say to their child, Look, you know, um, you really are a boy and not a girl. And, you know, um, I'd like to, you know, we will, you should be, and treat them as a boy rather than as a girl, even though this boy may identify. Or feel that he's a girl for whatever reason, for whatever complex of reasons. And it's never singly an issue of, I was born that way. Well, if you're born that way, you wouldn't be transitioning in the first place. Um, if um, it is really, there is a complex set of issues often behind what's going on here. And there's a whole complex of social media in influencing uh, this social construct idea of the human person, which is in complete opposition to the biological worldview or the biological reality of human beings being male and female. So what I'm trying to say is there's a series of laws that are being changed and people have got to understand this is not just a single issue about gay kids in school or trans male to female in sport. This is an ideological issue with an agenda that's being rolled out steadily over time, salami tactics. And each time it's rolled out, it restricts the freedom, not only of religious people, but people who hold to the biological worldview. And we're increasingly constrained into what uh, one of the Italian philosophers said, predicted some years ago, would be moral concentration camps. That is, we would basically confine to our own beliefs and our own head, but we would not be able to express these publicly without being hauled before a discrimination tribunal.
0: It makes sense when I said earlier in the introduction that uh, we'd be talking about things that slice away at religious freedoms and, as you say, a little bit of a salami tactic. There's so much to keep up with and uh, just honour to you, Patrick, uh, because uh, you're among a number of commentators who are across these issues. And uh, for listeners, we find ourselves in the deep end when we start to talk about these things. And uh, we struggle with the complications uh, from time to time. There's a lot to keep up with. Debates around the Religious Discrimination Bill or the changes to the Sex Discrimination Act. And, you know, if you're not a lawyer, it's difficult to keep up with those things. And, And now Claire Chandler's bill, Protecting Girls in Sport, what do you hope will be uh, the outcome of that bill and, and even perhaps along the lines of what sort of process that bill might go through to capture the imagination of the Australian public? Any thoughts here around Claire's bill protecting girls?
2: Yes, I think it's a very important bill. Um, in the Sex Discrimination Act, although there are protections for um, sexual orientation and gender identity, there is a clause dealing with sport and the clause says that a sporting authority um, can choose to exclude, say, a trans male to female uh, from playing in a woman in a women's sport or a girl's sport on the grounds that they have superior strength, uh, weight, uh, speed and, and so on, performance. And um, some people are saying, well, it's already in there. We don't need a bill. Well, I'm sorry, we do need a bill. And I think it's needed for a couple of reasons. Firstly, um, some sports um, are basically um, wearing away that provision. They're not using that provision to actually protect women in sport. I think that's the first thing. Uh, And there's been huge debates go on at the, uh, say, with uh, Rugby Australia and International Rugby, uh, in the international olympic committee has now changed its rules so that a uh, male can play in the female sport and they don't even have they do not require to have sex change surgery or even now to reduce their hormone their, their testosterone hormone, hormonal level and all the um, sports uh, medical authorities will say you know testosterone except for the ones who are supporting the trans issue, Uh, testosterone is the defining difference between the strength and and agility and so on of males and females. So it has been worn away. And one can anticipate that just as there has been a move to remove the exemptions uh, for faith-based schools in terms of enrolment of students... I can anticipate that there will be a move to remove there will be, be a move to remove the exemptions uh, in the area of sport as well. So I think firstly, it's important to get her bill up, uh, and I'm pleased that the prime minister has now said he's going to support it. But there's a second reason I think it's important to have uh, this bill passed. She in 2013, as I said before, when when the issue when gender identity was defined in the Sex Discrimination Act. The same bill removed the definition of man and woman and it's just ridiculous to have a sex discrimination act and you can't define sex yeah. I mean it's like asking some federal politicians to define what a woman is and they won't answer you well you need to you have to be able to answer it um, so she proposes putting the definition of man and woman back into the into the Act and that would mean that should there be a conflict uh, with people of faith or people who simply hold a biological worldview they will be able to resort to the Act to say our worldview is still supported by the Sex Discrimination Act. And therefore, when we act uh, to protect our schools or our churches or just our beliefs of ordinary people, that they are protected then still in the Sex Discrimination Act. That's why this bill is important. And that might not be very complicated because, as
0: you say, it might be just uh, putting into the Sex Discrimination Act a clause that simply defines a man and a woman, or at least the two uh, sides of a binary uh, gender uh, the way that things uh, work man, male and female. And uh, when we talk about biological worldview, we're talking biblical worldview on how that all looks. But uh, making this an election issue, I, occasionally I'll talk to uh, Kiralee Smith, who leads Binary and uh, determined to make an election issue, asking the question, what is a woman? Uh, You've got some thoughts around that too, Patrick, and and how you might get that before our legislators and before the Australian public, uh, getting everyone to define what a woman is. Uh, What are your thoughts about what needs to happen?
2: Well, firstly, I think everyone listening to your show should be emailing their federal members and uh, senators and saying to them in this election, the Prime Minister is supporting um, Claire Chandler's bill and uh, asking them... Uh, can you define for us what a woman is? And when they're out in the hustings and shaking hands, ask them the question on around this bill and say, well, can you tell me what is a woman? I think they should be confronting it. Now, I'm sort of hoping Clare's bill uh, does get well debated in Parliament and possibly, I don't know whether she intends, but go to a committee because I think the debate is needed. And what I'm seeing in the Parliament is they don't want the debate. They don't want the debate, and if they don't want the debate in Parliament, it's up to us and the electorate to force the debate and ask them during the election campaign to answer the question, what is a woman? So I think also, the um, just to add one more point here, the Prime Minister realises that the, he's been um, caught on the religious discrimination bill. He can't get that passed without taking three steps backwards and removing the exemptions for faith-based schools. So I think what he's probably likely doing now is supporting this bill and saying um, to the churches and people of faith, of all faiths and and people of no faith who believe in the biological worldview, that um, this is a different way of still protecting your sex-based rights, your rights as a male and your rights as a female. And they spring from the biological nature and, as you say, the biblical worldview of us being male and female. Uh,
0: Fabulous stuff. And uh, an election issue. What is a woman? And, uh, Patrick, as you say, uh, email your politicians uh, when you meet them on the street. They'll all be out campaigning, kissing babies. Uh, ask them the question: What is a woman? And uh, just as we we touch, uh, with, uh, draw some loose ends together here, Patrick, back to some of those poll numbers you mentioned earlier. You've done polling, and uh, the polling, uh, by and large, uh, you well, it's uh, by and large, uh, on bulk, uh, supports uh, the understanding that there is a difference between a man and a woman and those things need to be protected, just come back to those poll numbers because they are significant. Because uh, for listeners who are thinking, I'm just a lone voice here and it seems to be everybody's against me, uh, what does your polling indicate for for people about being confident, about saying that a man is a man and a woman is a woman?
2: Uh, look, every single question we asked, uh, you know, should boys share the girls' toilets? Should kids be taught they can, in kindy and primary school, they can change their sex and gender, Um, that um, the gender education curriculum should be made compulsory on all of those questions. uh, Well over, at the lowest for Labor, was 75% opposed to these, uh, up to 85% opposed to them. Amongst the Liberals, it was almost universally over 87%. Up to 95%, up to 94% opposed these. And amongst the Greens, the lowest among, across these questions was only 52% opposed, and it went up to 78% opposed uh, to these things being taught and done in schools around the whole, what I'd so-called the transgender worldview as opposed to the biological worldview. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, the electorate is opposed to this stuff being taught to kids in school. So if there's change,
0: it'll be because the people have ignored the importance of such a uh, an amazingly uh, absolutely essential issue to be across and to be able to uh, express your viewpoint, especially to those uh, legislators, those people who are in power. Uh, whichever side if you've got candidates in your community ask them all the same sorts of questions hey Patrick uh, your book that you wrote uh, about four years ago transgender one shade of gray uh, that's four years and things change in four years all the the content in there are you confident that uh, that it still holds true today
2: oh it stood the test of time and I think it remarkably stood the text uh, the test of time um, and it, it foretold in many ways further changes that were going to take place because um, as I said before and I think this is most important for your listeners to know this is not these are not one-off issues this is part of an agenda and what we were able to explain in the book is what that agenda is and where it's going and um, it was it's in fact it's in the It's in the agenda of a number of the political parties. You've only got to read their policy platform to understand that this stuff is... We're not pie in the sky. This is reality. And I think the... um, Not only was that seen in 2013 with the changes to the Sex Discrimination Act, it was seen just a couple of weeks ago with the attempt attempt to remove the exemptions for faith-based schools on enrolment. This is an ongoing rolling-out agenda. Um, And I'm hoping we might even get this polling, and we're hoping to do it again, to the Prime Minister, because this is the sort of polling he needs to be able to push out there in support of Claire Chandler's bill, which, as I said, I think will be his substitute for uh, the Religious Discrimination Act. And it'll force Labor and the Greens to have to start seriously answering the question, as you say, what is a woman? (laughs) Well,
0: Patrick J. Byrne, President of the National Civic Council. That book is called Transgender, One Shade of Grey. And to connect with Patrick, you can go to the website ncc.org.au. That's the website of the National Civic Council, NCC. Dot org.au. Patrick, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020.
2: It was great to be with you, Neil.
1: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find
2: out more about us,
1: go to vision.org.au.